As always, it's a joy and a privilege to come together to worship God on the Lord's Day. To have this time of fellowship together. To come to know one another better. Come to a closer relationship with our God in heaven. This morning, we're going to talk about God's marvelous grace. If you turn your Bibles in the New Testament to Titus chapter 2, we'll be looking, all of our verses will be right there today. We won't go any place else but there. Titus chapter 2. Our lesson is titled, God's Marvelous Grace. We use that word marvelous in many ways. Its real meaning is something that is extraordinarily wonderful, over and above what is expected, more than is necessary. And the word grace comes from a Greek word, is the state of kindness and favor towards someone with a focus on a benefit given to the receiver. Grace is something that is given, not received. And generally, grace is something that demonstrates that the receiver did not earn or merit that favor, but is given out of kindness. One Greek lexicon I read said, this is what grace is. Kindness bestowed upon one which has not deserved. Surely we understand that, don't we? The ultimate example of grace in all the world is what some people call the golden text of the Bible. John 3.16 and verse 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but, here's God's grace, that the world through Him might be saved. It's God's eternal plan that Jesus would come to this earth to suffer and die on Calvary's cross, as we've just commemorated in the partaking of the Lord's Supper, to show us That He considers us worthy of salvation. He wants us to be saved. And we have the beautiful privilege of accepting God's grace in our lives. God's grace is not on our merits because of who we are, but on who God is. God's giving His Son, laying hold on faith for us so that we can be recipients of God's grace. One of the songs we sing sometimes says, Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. We need to appreciate the fact that Jesus Christ, in the shedding of His blood, had the power of grace to take away every sin that has ever been committed in the history of the world. Billions upon billions of billions of sins from the beginning of time to now, and however long this longer the world will exist. But God's marvelous grace said, I'll go down there and shed my blood for all who will obey me. And they will receive that grace. Surely a demonstration of God's incomprehensible love and care and concern for mankind, provided for us by the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we speak of our God as a gracious God, that's exactly what He is. His grace is more than we can comprehend, more than we can ever appreciate. And in our lesson today, I want us to look at four aspects of God's grace. 
mentioned by Paul in Titus chapter 2. Look in Titus chapter 2. Point number 1. God's marvelous grace saves us. Look in verse number 11. For the God, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. On the screen you see a picture of a person being baptized. As he is rising to walk in newness of life, God's grace has poured out, been poured out upon him to redeem him from every sin he has ever committed. His slate is now blotted clean. No transgressions. We see salvation around us all the time. You see a house on fire. You see the firemen, the rescue squad go in and bring the people out of the house and rescue them. Doctors, good Samaritans, people helping those who are helpless in many occasions that they cannot care for themselves. They're saving people. Cardiopulmonary resuscitation, commonly used now to save people's lives. There are life support systems that people can be put on to save them when they cannot breathe and function for themselves. How wonderful it is that we have these saving situations in our lives. But they're just physical things. God demonstrated His love for us, not only for our physical lives, but for our spiritual eternal lives. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. The sinless one giving His life for sinners like you and me. And not a one of us is exempt from sin. Paul says in Ephesians 2, chapter 1, chapter 2, verse number 1, we are all dead in trespasses and sins. You see, if our sins are not taken away, we will all suffer spiritual death as well as physical death. We'll suffer eternal spiritual death. But God's grace covers that. He gave us the greatest salvation of all. If you've been a our child of God, when you were raised up out of that water, your grave of baptism, you were cleansed from all the sins you ever committed, and you were accepting the challenge of receiving a new way of living your life. Not following the world anymore, but following God's way and God's will. Trying to live your life for Him. And that gives us hope of eternal salvation, because we have been saved by the grace of God. How wonderful that is that we know that. He shows us how to live by His grace. Point number two in our lesson, God's grace saves us. God's grace teaches us. Look in verse number 12, the first part of the verse. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Why do students go to school? To be taught, to learn something. You go take a new job, you're trained for the specifics of that job for your employment. You learn the proper, exact procedures for, that must be done. The protocols that must be followed on, in your job, you must do that. You learn the correct way and by doing the right things. Example, preparing food. My sweet wife is an excellent cook. She prepares great meals. 
And I've been eating those meals for almost 50 years and loving every minute of it. But I have chosen not to learn how to cook. A bad choice on my part, but that's the choice I've made. So when Sylvia's away, in the morning I open a box of cereal, pour it in the bowl, and put milk on it. Um, time to lunch, I get two, two slices of bread, mayonnaise, pimento cheese, make a sandwich, and eat a sandwich. Comes time for supper, I open a, a, a can of soup, two minutes and 30 seconds in the microwave, and I prepare the meal. And that's all I know about cooking. And that's all I desire to know about cooking. It just doesn't matter to me. But when I become a child of God, I want to dig as deeply as I can into God's Word to comprehend completely the majesty of His grace. We appreciate in our jobs, in our education, in our occupations, we have to follow exact procedures, precise rules and regulations. In the math class, every math problem you've ever worked only had one correct answer. You might be close, you might be four or five decimal places apart, but that's not the correct answer. The answer is precise and exact. In chemistry class, you had to learn formulas. They were precise and exact. Aren't you glad that the medicines you take have been challenged to fill all the responsibilities and categories they're supposed to do? They're exact, precise amount of material in each one of those pills or capsules or medicines that you take without any variation. I practiced dentistry for 40 years. You didn't have to, when you were preparing a tooth for a crown, well, that looks pretty good from here. I don't know if that's right or not. No, we follow precise teachings, what we must do. And they were exactness prescribed for every situation. Often measured in tenths of millimeters. An inch is about that long. In an inch, there are 25.4 millimeters. But there are 254 tenths of millimeters. And oftentimes the instructor would come around to measure if we made the cavity preparation deep enough or wide enough or not and measured it with a micrometer. It was precise. It wasn't just a guess or an estimate. So everything had to be exactly right. Those of you who had surgery, aren't you glad that the surgeon is precise in what he's doing? Aeronautics. Sending men to the moon and to Mars and bringing them back and things like that. The preciseness known of science. Many other things we do daily, we appreciate preciseness and exactness. I want us to understand this, brothers and sisters in Christ. The same should be true in our lives with God's Word. Verse number 12a says, Teaching us. We are to be instructed. Therefore, just as surely as I cannot add my thoughts and ideas and guesses to the correct answer of a math problem, why would I want to question or think I can improve upon something that God has given His eternal, perfect, holy, precise Word? God's book tells us exactly what we must do to be saved. We must hear the Word of God. We must believe the Word of God. We must repent of our sins, change our mind about sin. 
We must confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We must be baptized in water for the purpose of sending those sins away. Those are precise teachings. And we can understand every one of those. When it comes to worshiping God, God has spelled out for us how we are to worship Him. We are to worship Him in spirit, in our hearts and minds, wanting to, and in truth, according to the standards that He has prescribed in His book. God's grace teaches us how to worship Him. Why would I want to try to improve upon that? Who am I to think I could do, a be- do it better than God has? Or, God, I can't understand why you don't want me to use a piano, because that sure would help my singing. No, it wouldn't. A piano is a mechanical machine. It makes noise. It makes some beautiful noise. But it cannot praise God. My heart and my mind can. I can't let someone pray for me. How wonderful it is that we all pray together. But most of my prayers are just between God and me and no one else on planet Earth. And so are yours. You see, God's given us a precise way of worshiping Him and serving Him. Again, I'll repeat this. I'm going to say this three or four times in this message this morning. Who am I as a finite, frail, imperfect human to improve or change or try to make better what God has said? You'll not find the idea, as I mentioned, of faith only in the New Testament. Faith without works is dead, the writer says. It's alone. It's isolated. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19 and Colossians 3, 16 tell us singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. My heart is a musical instrument that I use. My vocal cords are the physical instrument that I use to worship God. And I need nothing else besides that. Do you really believe that God with His perfect examples of how we are to live our lives and do these things would accept our changes and our ideas and our thoughts? Because of our faith in God, will we not simply rely upon what God's Word simply says? Case closed. I think we can all understand that, can't we? God's grace teaches us. And that's why every day as you read from the Word of God, You may have a specific study you're doing at one particular time, or sometimes you may just open the Bible and read a paragraph or two. Whatever, you're being taught, schooled by God, how to live your life, how to follow His will more closely in your life. And that's the perpetual eternal beauty of this book. It doesn't change. It's always the same, now and forever. Just as Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Therefore, I can place 100% of my confidence in God's Word and what it teaches me. And I will not try to alter it or change it in any other way. Point number three in our lesson this morning, God's marvelous grace shows us how to live our lives. Look in the second part of verse number 12. Titus 3.12 Teaching us, that's what we've talked about in point number two, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The Bible teaches us by example 
how we are to live our lives, how we are to conduct ourselves daily. In Hebrews chapter 11, we won't take the time to turn there. That's a chapter we know as Faith's Hall of Fame. Sixteen individual people are mentioned there from Abel down to Samuel. And then he goes on in the rest of that chapter to mention examples of many others who showed courage and bravery and endurance through all the difficulties and challenges and problems they faced in their lives. Their lives were full of temptations, just like ours are. They lived in a sin-filled world, just like we do. In the time of Noah, Noah and his family were the only people on planet Earth who were following the will of God. The vast majority, 99.9% of the people on the planet Earth, did not care about God and were not following God. But because Noah and his family were willing to stay with God's will, God saved them. God said, I'm going to destroy the earth. But this family has found grace in my sight and favor in my sight because they're doing my will. And God blessed them with salvation physically. There's not a one of us in this room who's been Christian very long who has not seen God's grace demonstrated in many ways in our lives every day. How wonderful that is. And we won't take the time to turn to it, but there in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 40, God's Word reminds us that God has provided some better thing for us, the ones who will be faithful to Him. God's provided something better. That's what I want. I don't want to devalue myself and bring myself down to the level of Satan's world. I want to be elevated and strengthened in my life towards God's world and God's way and God's will. And that's why I am the recipient of God's grace. He has given me that privilege and that opportunity. If you're a child of God, He's given you that privilege and opportunity. And you've accepted it. And you see God's grace demonstrated in your lives every day. He goes on, the Hebrews writer in Hebrews chapter 12 goes on to talk about that we have the perfect example of Jesus Christ in our lives. In verse number 2 there he says, Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher, the completer of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the same, is now set down at the right hand of God. That's where you and I can be eternally if we will do exactly the same thing. We look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, Therefore, we can live our lives in a godly fashion. That makes our lives valuable, important. Life is worth the living, as the song says, because Jesus lives. And we're following our lives to live, to honor and glorify Him in our lives every day. God's grace shows by the way we live our lives. And number four, in this morning's lesson about talking about God's marvelous grace, God's grace takes us to heaven. Look at our text, Titus chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Paul there says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of, his great, of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that we, He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Every time that you partake of the Lord's Supper, brother and sister, take your heart, your mind, and your mind's eye back to Calvary's cross. 
Look at the suffering. The tragedy of the life of the Son of God being sacrificed. Why? Because I needed salvation. You needed salvation. God loved me. God loved you that much to do just that for you. And the beautiful part of the fact that we partake of the Lord's Supper every Lord's Day, it reminds us that Satan's tomb could not hold Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He was raised from the dead never to die again. He, he took on again the immortal, immortality that he had as being God. And he lives forever. And he's now not on earth. He's in heaven at the right hand of God. Supplying you and me as His children the necessities we need to make it through our lives every day. To fight against Satan, whatever he may cast against us. Satan's going to try everything he can to pull us away. But because of the grace of God that He has given to us and continues to pour out upon us all the time, we can survive those difficult challenges and situations. You and I can anticipate sometime in the future we'll be in heaven with God. Our, our Father, and Jesus Christ, our Savior. Notice there he says in the last part of verse number 14, we are a peculiar people. A lot of times we use that word peculiar to talk about weird or strange. But that's not what the word means in the Greek language. The word peculiar means selected by God. Chosen by God to be His people. And He did not choose you or me because of our physical value or our physical worth. He gave us a set of instructions on what to do to become His children. And when we believed that and accepted that and did that, then we became His holy children. And that makes us special in His eyes. We still live in a world that's cursed by sin. We've all got challenges and difficulties and problems. We always will until the day we die or until the Lord comes again. But we're thankful for the grace of God that brings salvation. And therefore, we can live our lives as peculiar people. Again, the world thinks of peculiar as weird and odd. And by man's standards today, Christians are odd people. Peculiar people. Praise God for that. What if all the world were godless? I wouldn't want to be here any longer. We see the world caving in and crumbling around us because of man's lust of the flesh and lust of eyes and the pride of life, doing his own thing, being his own God, taking us further and further away from God. You and I now are in the minority. We always have been and always will be. Because we give our lives over to the will of God, not ourselves. And as a result of that, we can live our lives with purpose. I'm purposely living for God. The things I say, think, and do, and the way I act, the things I don't say and don't do and don't act, are because that's my purpose, to live a life of God-likeness. Because I want to continue receiving God's grace in my life. How wonderful it is to know that God's grace will take us to heaven. Do you know that the last words spoken by Jesus in the New Testament... Next to the last verse of the Bible. Revelation chapter 22, verse number 20. 
Jesus said, Surely I come quickly. Can we, like John would say in the next sentence, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus? I want Jesus to take me to heaven. Don't you? I know you do. And I can do that by accepting the grace of God. He poured out His grace through the shedding of His blood at Calvary's cross for all who will accept it. How wonderful it is that you and I have made that choice. There may be some in this room today who have not yet made that choice. Friend, why would you not want the entirety of God's grace and the hope of heaven forever? You believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Are you willing to repent of your sins? Confess that Jesus is that Son of God who died for you. Meaning His cleansing blood in the water of the grave of baptism. A death, a burial, and a resurrection. Just as Jesus went through physically, we go through spiritually to be saved by grace of God and on our way to heaven. If you're ready to do those things, let me know by coming to the front of us together. We stand and sing the song.